CP Podcast 87. So in today's episode, we're joined by the fabulous Gemma Clark to discuss multiple myeloma. This is a type of bone cancer that could present in our patients in an MSK setting and therefore is really important for us to understand the condition in a little bit of detail so we can screen for it with our patients. Now, it's really important for us to say that this is an emotional episode and so I want to treat this as a trigger warning because we are discussing sensitive things and naturally if someone has had a family member, a relative, a close friend who has been suffering with something like this in the past, it will naturally bring up some pretty raw emotions. So we want to make sure that you're aware that this is a tough episode. If you feel like you can't listen to it, please don't worry and if you feel like you want to reach out to us about it, please do as well. So without further ado, let's dive in with Gemma. Gemma, thank you so much again for joining us. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. And I'm very grateful to be talking to you. So thank you so much for joining me. Now, tonight we are talking about a subject which is really important to understand as physiotherapists, but it is naturally also a little bit of a challenging subject because it's emotional, of course, and we're talking about multiple myeloma. So could you start us off with what is multiple myeloma? Of course. So this, yeah, it is. It is a topic um, that can be difficult um, to, you know, listen to emotionally. For example, if you've had any family members that may have had this condition. Um, now, this is close to my heart because um, one of my family members did, in fact, have multiple myeloma. So it's something that I feel passionate about from the the sense that as physios we should understand it because it does affect. Um, our sort of skeletal system so it's a really important thing um, to to know about it's something that you may come across in outpatients msk um, and also in orthopedics or even you know general sort of medical ward so what is multiple myeloma it is a type of bone marrow cancer affecting mainly plasma cells which they're a type of white blood cell essentially um, which are really important for our immune system so these plasma cells, um, they're responsible for producing antibodies or immunoglobulins, which will help fight infection. Um, now, the bo- if we think about bone marrow, that's where the blood cells are produced. So all our blood cells come from the bone marrow. Um, so in terms of multiple, multiple myeloma and the statistic side of things, it accounts for about 15% of all blood cancers and 2% of all cancers. Um, and usually it tends to affect patients over the age of 65, but you you can come across this in much younger patients as well, even as early as somebody in their 20s. Mm. Um, but generally speaking, it is in more of the elderly population. And it can affect lots of areas of the body, including the spine, the pelvis and the rib cage. So it can it affects your musculoskeletal system. OK, um, and every year there's about five thousand nine hundred people diagnosed with this condition in the UK. So it's actually it's fairly rare. Um, it's not a very common cancer. Um, but it is something um, that we do need to be aware of because of the symptoms that it can actually cause patients, one of them being pain. So we know that when we're in outpatients, we do see a lot of patients who are in pain. Um, so it's important to screen for red flags um, to make sure that patients don't have um, things like malignancy, for example. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have had a patient who, unfortunately, we diagnose we 
I suppose, helped or facilitated the diagnosis of multiple myeloma because of the signs that he presented with. And I won't give it away now, but perhaps when we come on to that section, um, we can we can chat about it. But as you said, there were some fairly hallmark signs for this individual whereby it did raise a level of suspicion. Um, so we'll definitely go on to that. So let's come on to that kind of thing now. So the next question was around symptoms. So when would physiotherapists come across this and what are some of the symptoms that they might anticipate hearing? Sure. So we may come across this in outpatient clinics. If we're if we're seeing patients who are in pain, um, we are going to be screening red flags. Um, but of course, as we know, only 1% of patients we see in MSK will actually have sinister pathology. So as I said, it's quite rare, but it's really important to, to be aware of it. And sometimes this, um, the symptoms can be quite general um, and it can actually take a little bit of time um, for this condition to be diagnosed in the first instance anyway, um, uh, because of the, the myriad of symptoms that someone may present with. So some symptoms might be persistent pain. Um, particularly bone pain. So that will be sort of a deep-seated aching pain that the patient may experience. They might have back pain. It tends to be back pain, potentially, um, in the ribs or around the hip area. And it's usually worse with movement. Um, Patients may also be quite fatigued. They might feel a bit weak. They may feel short of breath. And the reason for that is, is because multiple myeloma will cause anemia. Um, so that is, that's what can be associated with the condition. So that's a reduced level of hemoglobin in the blood, um, which then will cause things like low blood pressure symptoms or, um, you know, shortness of breath. Okay. They may also have unexplained weight loss, so the kind of classic um, sort of malignancy-related symptom. They may be experiencing repeated infections, so it could be things like urinary tract infections, repeated chest infections, um, and they may have other other symptoms um, such as blurry vision, double vision, dizziness or headaches. And the reason they get these symptoms is because with multiple myeloma, the, the blood becomes more viscous or it becomes thicker. And this is because you get an increased level of proteins being produced within the myeloma cells or by the myeloma cells, should I say. Um, So that's where you will get this thickening. So that will then cause these symptoms. So you can already see that there's quite a lot of different symptoms from different body systems going on here. It's not just a case of we've got a we've got bony pain, back pain. We've also got systemic features going on as well. So we've got to ask our red flag questions um, when we're dealing with any patient that presents to us with pain and with back pain, with musculoskeletal symptoms. Um, so that's why it's really important that you understand why you're asking red flag questions, for example. It's all very well sort of knowing, oh, I must I must ask night sweats, I must ask weight loss or fatigue, but sometimes understanding the reason why you're asking those questions can help you um, in terms of, you know, raising that index of suspicion of, of, of a condition or, or a patho- potential pathology. So patients with multiple myeloma, as I said, may be um, experiencing back pain. That's quite common. They may also complain of 
sort of neurological symptoms in their limbs. So pins and needles, numbness, they might have weakness. They may also have bladder and bowel disturbances. Now, this is kind of sounding a little bit like query corda equina, isn't it? So um, the reason why they may have these symptoms is because they may actually have a fracture in their spine. Okay. Mm. Um, now, patients with multiple myeloma are more likely to have fractures because of the weakening of the bones. So they tend to develop something called hypercalcemia which is where the calcium levels in the blood become high. And that's because their calcium is not being absorbed and it therefore weakens the bone. So they are therefore more at risk of having a fracture. So if you have a patient that does present with back pain, pins and needles, numbness, weakness, bladder and bowel disturbances, they may have a spinal fracture or um, they may have some sort of cord compression going on there. Um, now, the the patient would have if if we're worried about things like that. Of course, we're going to get these patients to go to A and E if they present with, you know, symptoms of cord compression or a spinal fracture. If there is um, neurological symptoms, all right. So that's that's one thing to note. Um, if we are concerned, then we can direct to the GP as well. Patients can have um, some blood tests where they will potentially find the hypercalcemia. Okay, I'm going to come on to the sort of testing side of it later. Um, But the other thing that happens with these patients is that there can be kidney damage. So Mm. the bladder and bowel symptoms may be related, or the bladder symptoms, sorry, may be related to the fact that they're having some injury, kidney injury or chronic kidney disease associated with this condition. So there is a mnemonic that um, doctors or clinicians might use um, when they're sort of referring to multiple myeloma or the pr- presentation of it and it's the mnemonic is CRAB so C-R-A-B so ca- uh, C being calcium or hypercalcemia R being renal or kidney failure essentially A anemia as we discussed previously and B bone disease so when they're kind of doing their workup for these patients, this is what they're kind of looking for um, in terms of whether or not the patient potentially may have multiple myeloma. Um, but in terms of the um, presentation of symptoms, I'm just going to also highlight from personal experience of a family member that had multiple myeloma. Um, now, the presentation was was fairly complex, in fact. Um, they initially presented with uh, chronic shoulder pain, which happened after um, they were, were going shopping in Tesco. Um, somebody accidentally walked into them, into their shoulder, and they developed some shoulder pain after. Um, it was put down to rotator cuff related pain. Um, no x-ray was done, and she kind of sort of got on with it, and, and there was said no more about it uh, until mobility started to reduce um there was weight loss there was also acute confusion which which is actually a very late stage um so it's not necessarily back pain that can be the the sort of key area of pain it can be in any part of the body so when they init- when they finally x-rayed the shoulder there was a pathological fracture so at the start they were not sure what the cat what type of cancer it was um and then a lot of tests were done it took quite it took nearly two weeks to sort of 
get a clear diagnosis just because of the um, nature of symptoms that that she was presenting with. So it's, this is why it's really important when you screen your red flags and if you find anything that doesn't sit right with you or there's there's a lot of red flags that a patient's presenting with, we must escalate it and, and get patients referred to the GP or um, refer them to A&E, depending on how they're presenting. Now, my family member was um, had actually been to physiotherapy um, initially and then went back to the GP and then had some MRIs of her feet, which showed um, arthritis. Um, so it just wasn't easy to find. It wasn't easy to diagnose. So um, we kind of went around the houses quite a lot initially. Um, but when the mobility declined and there was acute confusion, this is when, you know, straight to A&E and, and you know, an inpatient um, sort of assessment led to that diagnosis, basically. Yeah. First of all, Gemma, thank you so much for sharing the story of your family member. And I'm so sorry to hear of what happened. But as you said, it just paints that picture of how important it is for us as physios to try and understand the symptoms. Um, and I completely agree with what you said earlier about understanding the reasoning behind your red flag questions. So for example, night pain, there are so many variations of night pain. Is it that someone's awake for three, four hours? Or is it just the fact that someone wakes up in the middle of the night for 10 minutes and goes back to bed? Do they have position changes that make it better or worse? Do they sleep better on one side than the other? Do they uh, feel that if they have one or two pillows, it makes it better or worse? And so that's really important. So I'd absolutely encourage anyone who's listening. We have a brilliant webinar, which is Red Flags in MSK. It might be listed in the courses and webinar section as MSK Red Flags. And in that, we absolutely go through the clinical reasoning behind these questions. And I totally echo what Gemma said understanding why you're asking and understanding what kind of answer am I looking for here that would make me concerned versus not concerned. So please do listen to that, ladies and gentlemen, and, and watch that webinar if you want to. My chap, um, who I mentioned, um, I mentioned he, he had some hallmark features and you mentioned all of them. Um, first of all, he had back pain, which was his main feature, but he then developed rib pain. and as you said, it's a bone-based cancer, a bone marrow cancer. And we do not expect within MSK Physio for our patients to have rib pain as a mechanical sign. Sure, if they had a fall onto their right side, then yeah, they might have some right-sided rib pain. But it doesn't necessarily make sense for your patient to say, I've got back pain. And I don't know what I've done, but in the last couple of weeks, it feels like my ribs hurt. And so he presented with something we call band-like pain, as if they have a, a band around their uh, ribs, which is painful. And that was what unfortunately escalated things for us because we realised, right, rib pain is not the norm. And you actually said about anemia, and you mentioned it a few times, and it was only, uh, honestly, it was only just when you mentioned it just now, Gemma, that it reminded me when I saw this gentleman that on his, on the final time I saw him before we referred him on, he looked really pale. He looked really pale. And 
I distinctly remember that. And it's only that it's clicked in my head when you said about the anemia. So thank you so much again for sharing that. And as you said, really important that we understand some of those signs. So um, thank you so much for, for going through that in detail, Gemma. So from there, uh, we've talked a little bit about all the symptoms. So and, and you've talked about the challenge of diagnosis with your family member. So what might be some of the other ways in which this is diagnosed if we were to refer a patient on to a specialist consultant physio or a GP or an oncologist? What might be some of the things they do? Sure. So lots of um, different tests can be used. Um, it's a you know, myriad of tests again. Um, these patients tend to get managed under haematology um, if they're sort of under a consultant or even oncology, as you, you've mentioned there. Um, now, they can pick up certain things on routine blood and urine tests, which is quite helpful. Um, they may look at um, the calcium level, of course, which is quite a key feature. So they would do other things like full blood count. Um, they might look at plasma viscosity, so the thickness of the plasma. Um, as we mentioned previously, we do get a thickening, um, which will then cause those symptoms like headache um, and dizziness, for example. Um, and they will also look at inflammatory markers, white blood cells, that sort of thing, immunity um, sort of levels um, to make sure um, that you know when they're not missing anything from that point of view. Um, now, there is a specific urine test that they tend to do called a Bentz-Jones protein test. So if you ever see that on your um, you know, patient's lab record, for example, you, you may find that they've had one of those done if they're looking into myeloma or doing a myeloma screen. But it's not the, it's not the key um, test that they do to diagnose myeloma. It's just something that they use in that workup. Um, now, if you, as I said earlier, if you've got the patient that's got that sort of uh, those cord compression features or potential spinal fracture features they may be admitted to hospital um, if they've got hypercalcemia from a blood test if the level is is um, really out of range they will also be admitted that needs urgent emergency attention essentially um, now the other tests they might do are um, they might do some x-rays of the bones um, or MRIs of certain areas. It just, again, depends on where the patient's experiencing their, their bony pain. Um, and they're looking for specific lesions, um, so myeloma lesions. Um, I know that sometimes when they're looking at x-rays, if they tend to come across any um, myeloma lesions, for example, they might, that their sort of pattern on x-ray looks like scalloping. Um, difficult to explain that on um you know, a podcast, but if you just Google scalloping on x-ray, um, then you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, sometimes you get like a moth-eaten appearance as well on x-ray of bones um, for anything to do with malignancy. So that's important to, to sort of have a look, read, read up on that. Um, and the other thing that they can do um, is also they'd do an MRI of the spine, wouldn't they, just to have a look um you know, x-rays of the spine make with those patients who have got the features of cord compression just to understand what's happening there. Um, so there are a lot of tests. Uh, the other test um, that they can do is also um, a bone marrow biopsy. So they would put, um, you know, a big needle through the bone into the marrow. Um, the marrow is obviously at the centre of the bone, so it's quite an uncomfortable procedure. Yeah. Um, they they tend to go for the, the pelvic area to, to do that. I believe my family member had a lumbar puncture 
Um, and that's where they confirmed the diagnosis. So it did take quite some time to really find out what was happening. Um, and I think also in the early stages of this disease or condition, the patient may not have that many symptoms. And it, it, it again, it's something that can just be an incidental finding. Um, you may find a pathological fracture on x-ray. So sometimes in the virtual fracture clinic, uh, for example, we we may have, um, we actually, we did, we had a patient recently who um, had a sort of low energy trauma to his shoulder, um, knocked his shoulder on the door um, and he had a pathological fracture in his shoulder, but we didn't know, there was no um, evidence of where the primary was. Um, and he was under the oncology team, but they were still investigating. And I believe uh, the latest that I heard was that there was a primary lesion in his femur. So I'm not right. sure exactly what the diagnosis was, but it was, um, again, something just incidentally picked up um, that's led to further investigation. Um, but yeah, it's it's something that can be challenging to, to diagnose. And sometimes you find that, you know, it could just be, they're like everyday symptoms, some of these things, um, where people might feel a bit tired or, you know, uh, they've got a bit of backache or something. Um, but that's, again, where the red flag symptoms um, and sort of understanding the presentation um, can really help you to redirect your patient to the right place. Thank you so much, Gemma. That that really all makes sense. And uh, I definitely remember the Bence Jones um, urine test, which is what my gentleman had. Um, he also went on to have an MRI scan, um, as you said, imaging to look at his, his spine. And uh, I think that unfortunately, that's when they um, that's when they confirmed it um as it were so as you said that that imaging is definitely going to have an impact on the diagnosis and as you said it 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 can be a progressing condition i suppose that it's not like a, a it's not like a uh, you know we talked last time about patella tendon ruptures it's not like you have the injury on day zero and it's diagnosed on day zero it's something that gradually progresses and as it progresses oh well they had back pain and now they seem to have this rib pain and they seem to be anemic and and you know they, they're reporting suddenly that they've gradually been getting this pain in their legs and and so it, it it has that kind of pattern i sometimes say to people that it's not like a light switch it's not on or off it's more like a dimmer switch that as time goes on, the symptoms gradually increase and therefore the light gets brighter, as it were, in terms of the level of symptoms that they have rather than just an on and off switch that is not there one day and then suddenly there the next day. So I suppose the final part of this podcast, Gemma, is to talk a little bit about the outlook for these patients and um, and prognosis. So would you be happy to talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but we can't cure myeloma, multiple myeloma. It, there, there is not a cure out there at the moment, um, but there are treatments available to sort of control the symptoms or control the progression, as you say. Um, like you mentioned just there, the, the disease is something that it progresses over time. Um, and there are cases where the patient doesn't need to start treatment in, immediately because they're they're not symptomatic, essentially. So they refer to that as smouldering myeloma, where it's kind of, it's it's there, but it's progressing, it's dormant, it's not symptomatic, and then it can actually become symptomatic. So patients will hold, they'll hold off on treatment until the, they're sort of more symptomatic with it. Um, as I said earlier, the patient will be managed under the consultant haematologist. 
Um, there's lots of different ways that this can be treated. Um, chemotherapy is sort of one of the mainstays of treatment to kill the myeloma cells in the bone marrow. Um, to sort of boost that effect, they can also be given uh, corticosteroids um, just to sort of strengthen the, the, the treatment of chemo. Um, but again, things like chemotherapy can be, be very difficult to go through. Um, it can cause sickness, swelling, um, and it can make the, the sort of patient's journey through the treatment incredibly difficult, particularly where they're, um, they may not be responding to it positively. It may be making them more unwell than they're, they're able to manage. And unfortunately, that kind of was the pathway for my family member where the chemotherapy was just too strong. It was just too yeah. much. Um, and it was not, um, it was not helping it. Her, um, the, the kidneys, um, were severely affected by the chemotherapy and already with myeloma, um, you do get kidney disease. Um, and there was a, a, a point in the treatment where the doctors had said, that um, if we carry on with the chemo, you know, it, it's going to severely affect your kidneys and you may need um, dialysis for the rest of your life three days a week. And I think at that point is where my family member had decided not to continue with, with that treatment. Um, they were nearly 90, so they had a really good innings, um, really good full life. Um, but yeah, it's it can be very challenging, the treatment, particularly with the elderly population. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other sort of treatments they may use, radiotherapy. Um, this is helpful for bone disease, areas of diseased bone, um, and it can help with relieving pain as well. They might use some drugs initially or combination of drugs. Um, some of them, um, I'll just name them, uh, thalidomide, uh, bortezomib. Um, or prednisolone, which is, you know, steroids, dex dexamethasone. So some of these drugs can be used in combination um, to help with treating the patient. Um, in your younger population, um, they can be offered stem cell transplant. So it's an autologous uh, collection, essentially, where they collect it from the patient directly. So they'll take stem cells from, from the patient um, and they will use that to treat the patient alongside um, a higher dose of chemo. So that's why it tends to be more um, suitable for the younger patient who's more fit and fit and well, for example. Um, this is something that um, is thought to prolong um, the patient's life uh, quite significantly. I know of a patient who had uh, stem cell treatment uh, and I think from that point, they were able to prolong um, their their life to another 10 years, which was fantastic. Um, but again, it, it is, it, we can't cure it. So it's really, really challenging. Um, the, others, the other treatment that we may use, again, is pain relief to help with the bone pain. Um, and bisphosphonates, which can be used in um, sort of rheumatoid arthritic conditions. Um, but this, again, is useful to help slow the disease. So that's why they use it in uh, rheumatoid arthritis, um, to help slow the disease, essentially. So you can see from there, there's quite a lot of um, treatments that are, are available. Um, and not to mention um, psychological support. I know I talk about this quite often, but I think we do we do have to be holistic when we're dealing with patients. Um, and getting a diagnosis like my multiple myeloma can be really hard. 
um, for the patient um, to accept, for family members to accept. And I think as long as there's plenty of support, I know the Macmillan Cancer nurses were really involved with our family um, at that point and they were fantastic um, so it's worth having a look at the Macmillan website um, because they there's lots of support available to, to patients and families um, and it's just about trying to be as positive as possible and, and to help patients to live a full life as best they can um, and this is where you, you know if you see a patient in a hospital on the ward in orthopedics or medical for example medical rotation and you're you're mobilizing them you know get involved and do your do the best you can for them and give them a great experience while you're treating them you know these patients need um as much support as possible so um you know it's not it's it doesn't have to be all negative i think when we hear about cancer we think uh, it, it's a really negative connotation, the big C word, as they would say. Um, but actually, we've got to make sure that we are giving patients the best chance. We are um, supportive, um, signposting them and that we support family members as well, um, particularly if we're dealing with inpatients and we may have to liaise with family members. So it's really important to sort of take a holistic approach to to any patient really that's going through a really challenging time absolutely Gemma you're so right this is where being a holistic practitioner really takes on the true definition isn't it where we're thinking about everything in their life to try and give them the best that we can with the time that they have so thank you so much for sharing that with us thank you so much for sharing the story of your family member which I suppose is really allowed uh, people to understand when they listen to this podcast um, so thank you so much for for sharing that as well and uh, as always you've given us some really really brilliant information that I know will help people who are listening so thank you so much as always and see you very soon thanks again for listening guys thank you so thank you so much for listening, everyone. We know, as we said, that it's an emotional episode, but more than anything, we really hope that this has been able to give you some information that you can help build your confidence with screening red flag pathology. Remember, we have brilliant webinars such as MSK Red Flags and MSK Red Flag Case Studies if you want even more. And otherwise, we'll see you soon on the CP Podcast.